Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com slash renew to learn more. Seeing is believing, and you're not going to believe how bright and vivid the colors are on the Samsung Neo QLED and OLED TVs powered by the Neural Quantum Processor. Because this is an audio ad. Unless you can see it, which means you already have one. Nice. Samsung, more wow than ever. What is happening, everybody? Greg Ehrenberg here from Stochastic.com. We're about to break down tomorrow's UFC card. The main event, Marcin Tybor taking on Tom Aspinall. Tom Aspinall coming back from a pretty horrific knee injury and a big favorite in his return, the biggest favorite of the entire card. So we'll be getting to all of the best picks in a second and also breaking down Rainmakers for DraftKings because they are the sponsor of the show. And if you guys haven't checked out DraftKings Rainmakers yet, there's a link below. Click on that and it will get you a totally free starters pack for the PGA Rainmakers product over at DraftKings. And good chance you make some free money over there. So why not take advantage of that? But Let's start looking at some of the fights for tomorrow. Recording this Friday afternoon, a little bit after weigh-ins. Everybody made weight, which means that we have all 15 fights are a go, which uh, number one means that we're going to have great pacing. This fight card is not going to be one of these ones where we have like 10, 15 minutes in between fights. This is going to be bang, bang, bang. Fights are going to end. Next one's going to start, which is always great from a viewing perspective and also from a DFS angle. The ownership is really condensed. That has to do with there being 15 fights, as well as the fact that there are no massive value spots or that many massive favorites. We only have two fighters on the entire card, Mahmoud Muradov and Tom Aspinall, that are north of minus 215 favorites. So we've really got the field going all over the place in terms of ownership. So in terms of what we have projected here over at Stochastic.com right now, only three fighters on the entire card project for north of 30% ownership. That is Tom Aspinall. Chris Duncan, and Mahmoud Muradov. So I'm going to break down how I'm going to handle those different ownerships right now. If you guys could do me a favor, like the video, subscribe to the YouTube channel. And now let's get to the fights, starting with the main event. Tom Aspinall against Marcin Tybora. Aspinall is projected to be the most popular fighter on the entire card. And it's really hard to argue with. I know he's $9,700, which to me is really the only talking point here is, am I willing to pay the $9,700 for Tom Aspinall or not? And the answer to me is Yes. The main reason being is that because we have so many fights that are tight in the odds, I think there's a lot of live underdogs. There's going to be a bunch of upsets on this card and not like crazy upsets, but you've got fighters priced in the low 7K range that are, you know, plus 140, plus 150 underdogs, which is going to make it a little bit easier to get up to a fighter's price at $9,700 like Tom Aspinall than it has been on a lot of previous slates. The only concern I have with Aspinall is if you look through his fights here, his last fight against Curtis Blades right around a year ago, actually almost a year ago to the day. He's going to be fighting on July 22nd. This fight took place on July 23rd. And, you know, we didn't really get any information out of this fight because Tom Aspinall blew out his knee 15 seconds into the fight, non-contact knee injury, basically nothing had happened and his knee blew out. The only way I think that it's reasonable to expect Tom Aspinall to lose this fight is if he's in some way compromised from the knee injury and is just a shell of his former self because 
This is a pretty step, pretty big step down in competition for Aspinall. His recent fights were against Sergey Spivak, Alexander Volkov, Curtis Blades. I think Ty Burrow is an easier matchup than all of those. And the most likely scenario to me here is that Tom Aspinall just rolls through Marcin Tybora in the first round. Tybora has looked better as of late, but if you look through some of the previous losses for Tybora, I mean, he's been knocked out against Shamil Abdurakimov. He's been knocked out by Augusto Sakai. Knockout loss to Derek Lewis, whatever. That happens to a lot of people. Derek Lewis is a big power puncher. But getting knocked out by guys like Sakai and Abdurakimov are not good looks for Marcin Tybora. Even though that happened a few years ago, it still has to be where we question Tybora's durability. And Tom Aspinall, who's a super well-rounded heavyweight, I mean, talking about a guy who could strike, he could wrestle, he could grapple. Look at some of the stats on Tom Aspinall. Now, some of this is going to be inflated due to sample size. We haven't seen a ton of Aspinall. He has had a lot of quick finishes. But these are some of the most absurd stats you'll see on any prospect in the UFC. Landing 7.41 significant strikes per minute, only absorbing 2.87. He lands four takedowns per minute. He is a 100, or sorry, per 15 minutes. He is 100% takedown accuracy, has never failed to take down 100% takedown defense. He's never been taken down. So everything looks spectacular for Tom Aspinall. I think this is really just a, let's get him a fight under his belt to get some of the dust off of him. He's going to be the most exposed fighter, even though he's popular. I think it's worth being overweight to the field on Tom Aspinall. No hot takes here, but I'm going to be riding with him because like I said, the only way I foresee him losing is if he's just not up to par in the cardio department after the long layoff, or if he's in some way compromised because of the knee injury is somehow limited his athleticism. But most likely scenario, like I said, I'm picking Tom Aspinall to win by either first or second round KO. I don't think he has to go to the wrestling or grappling. Just stand up with Ty Bora, and I think he should be able to finish him. Now, the other fighter who's expected to be really popular on the high end is Mahmoud Muradov. He's going to be taking on Brian Barberena. Really weird decision by Brian Barberena, who was never a big fighter at 170 pounds, and now he's going to be moving up to 185 pounds. And actually, if you look at the UFC stats website, they actually still have Barbarina listed at 170 pounds. He's going to be two inches shorter than Mahmoud Muradov. He's going to be three inches uh, a deficit in the reach here. And then something else as well is that Brian Barbarina has just looked old and slow in his recent outings. And Mahmoud Muradov is a guy who's going to be much, well, not I'm not going to say younger because he's only a year younger, but he has much less wear and tear on his body relative to Barbarian, who's not only been in a bunch of wars, but also has had some issues with injuries outside of the octagon, including a really devastating back injury that required surgery. So if you look at some of these recent outings for Barbarina, and also we've seen people roll through him with the wrestling grappling as of late, Afiel Dos Anjos and Gunnar Nelson. That's not going to be what Mahmoud Muradov does. But still, look at these previous fights that Barbarina was in where he won. Robbie Lawler, and this was obviously an older version of Robbie Lawler, and we saw Barbarina hurt multiple times in that fight. Same for the fight against Matt Brown. Oh, Matt Brown was also able to take him down five times in that spot. He lost to Jason Witt and got knocked down by Jason Witt, and Jason Witt is a fighter with zero durability, doesn't have that much power on the feet. So I have a lot of questions with Brian, with Brian Barbarina's ability to absorb damage at this point in his career. So I'm going to take Mordov to win and probably by KO, but... If I'm already high on Aspinall, I can't just go ahead and say, unless for Rainmaker's purposes, to play Aspinall and Muradov together. I'm going to do that as often as I can in Rainmaker's with all the cards I have there. But for DFS purposes, I'm going to favor paying up for Tom Aspinall over Mahmoud Muradov. That's going to be a decision point a lot of people are going to be making. And I lean a little bit towards the Aspinall side. Going to be playing both of them. But still, if you're only playing one lineup, you can only pay up for one guy. 
I understand that situation a lot of people are going to be in. And my pick in that scenario is Aspinall over Mahmoud Boradov. Now, the other fight that we should talk about, just from an ownership and chalk perspective, I mentioned that Chris Duncan is the other fighter on this card that's projected for north of 30% ownership. We have him projected currently for 37% ownership for this slate in London. And now if we pull up the fight here... Here we go, Chris Duncan against Yanal Ashmuz. And I think this is a great fight to target for tournament purposes because of the contrast in styles. Chris Duncan, in his last fight, he showed a new wrinkle to his game that we haven't seen before. He was going up against a power puncher in Omar Morales. And going into that fight, I had such big concerns about Chris Duncan because of what he looked like in some of his previous outings. So he gets KO'd by Borshev on the Contender Series. Borshev is big power. If you're going to mess around with him on the feet, it's a problem. Then he fights against Charlie Campbell on the contenders here. Charlie Campbell is not very good whatsoever. And they have this crazy war on the feet. Chris Duncan gets hurt super early. Looks like he's about to get finished. Rallies back and then ends up finishing Charlie Campbell. What's funny is that fight only took about a minute and a half, but there was a lot of action, a lot of fights, uh, uh, sorry, a lot of punches exchanged on the feet. And it was just a fight where there was a lot of firepower. But you saw those two fights from Chris Duncan between the Borshev and the Campbell fight. And you just had to start to think like, Boy, if this guy is going to fight on the UFC level against some better caliber of competition or people who could strike with as much power as Borshev, it seemed to me like he was somebody who's going to get knocked out a lot, which was a big concern for him going into the Ormo Morales fight. And what does he do? He shows a totally new wrinkle to his game. He really gets into the wrestling and grappling, holds a lot of control positions against Omar Morales. And I think that's his path to victory in this fight. If he decides to wrestle and grapple with Ashmuz and does not get knocked out on the feet, I think Duncan's able to win with control time, with takedowns, a little bit of ground and pound, and just grind out his cardio in that kind of way, wear down Yanal Ashmuz. But if we see the Chris Duncan of the past, the guy who showed up against Borshev, the guy who showed up against Charlie Campbell, it's going to stand and trade on the feet. He's probably going to get knocked out. He could win that way, but that's not the most likely outcome. So I think the winner of this fight should score really well, either Chris Duncan via the wrestling and grappling or Oshmuz with a potential finish on the feet. And then when I look at the ownership in this spot, Oshmuz at 7,800 projected for mid 20s percent ownership. And then Chris Duncan projected for 37% ownership. Like I said before, our second most popular projected fighter on the entire slate. I think Chris Duncan probably the better cash game play relative to that ownership, but for tournaments, Give me Ashmoos just because I do think this is a coin flip fight and Ashmoos is coming in with a lot less ownership right now in our projection. So I like the leverage that we're getting on Yanal Ashmoos, but this is one of my favorite fights to target for tournament purposes. There are other payup options as well, like Molly McCann that I think are live to score fairly decently, but I don't want to just sit here and tell you guys to pay up for all of the most expensive fighters on the card. So I'm just going to single out Aspinall and then also Mordov is my two payoff options that I like the most with Aspinall being my favorite. But let's talk about some other fights that I think are worth targeting. One here being Paul Craig against Andre Muniz. And I could not believe how good Paul Craig looked at weigh-ins. His first time moving down to 185 pounds. He had previously been fighting at 205 pounds. And Paul Craig's never been a fighter that I'm massively high on, mostly because a lot of his wins are dependent on him getting hurt being in bottom position, and then wrapping up a triangle in some sort of way. But with that said, Paul Craig has a lot of finishing equity. If you look at him right now, he's only projected for 10% ownership in our projections. He's $6,900. So as far as cheap fighters go, I think this is a good matchup for Muniz. I think he's live to, I think he's very expected to win by me in this matchup. And Muniz, I also think, has a pretty high ceiling 
But if we're looking for just really low-owned plays in this spot in a fight that should finish inside the distance, the most recent betting line has this fight minus anywhere from minus 280 to minus 300 to finish inside the distance. So both sides of this fight make sense. But Paul Craig at 10% when he's only a plus 175 underdog in a fight that's almost certainly to finish inside the distance and weird shit happens in every Paul Craig fight. I try not to put too much stock into Wayne's, but Paul Craig did really look physically fit for this division. And maybe all along he should have been fighting at 185 as opposed to 205. So uh, Paul Craig, I will pick Andre Muniz to win. But Paul Craig's going on me as an underdog play, especially if his ownership doesn't change. If he's still projected for 10% ownership tomorrow, pretty easy to get overweight to Paul Craig. My initial runs, I was getting to him in about mid 20% of my lineups. I have my other computer right here next to me, but off the top of my head, I think it was 26% of Paul Craig I got to after considering uh, ownership and all of that. Looking through some other fights that I think we might want to target, D.B. Grant against uh, Danil Marcos. And this is mostly just due to the output I'm expecting from this fight. Marcos, who has not really been tested a ton yet in the UFC, and Davy Grant is a great barometer for where younger fighters are going to be at the 135-pound division. Look at the output that we're expecting from both these guys, or at least what we've seen so far from their career. And Davy Grant, who's an older fighter, we've seen him many times in the octagon, lands 4.78 significant strikes per minute. To know Marcos to this point, landing 6.01 significant strikes, also shown good striking defense. 71% there, only absorbing 3.05 significant strikes per minute. As far as the takedowns go, if anybody's going to be initially is going to be initiating the wrestling and grappling, I would think it's the Davy Grant side. But with that said, Grant has been more in love with his hands. As of late, we've seen some big knockouts from him. We've also seen some spots where he's gotten hurt and put away. But still, 88% takedown defense for Marcos. Grant does historically land 1.41 takedowns per 15 minutes, but do the high takedown defense of Marcos. I think this takes place on the feet, and it should be a banger because of the output of these two. I think this is a fight also that's pretty live to finish. Marcos is a slight favorite right now, and it is you're right around minus 120 to minus 125 to finish inside the distance. And I do think that's also going to come with a good amount of volume based on these two striking stats. So I'm going to lean with Marcos just because of the slightly higher output landing 6.01 significant strikes per minute to 4.78, as well as the older age of Davy Grant born in 1985 here. So we've got Davy Grant is 38 years old. Uh, Going to be favoring Marcos here, but Davy Grant also worth getting some exposure to. Going through some of the other fights that I think have a lot of upside. One here is Danny Roberts against Johnny Parsons. There isn't a ton of mid-range fights that I think have a lot of finishing equity. And the biggest thing here is that Danny Roberts has extremely questionable durability. If we go and look at some of his fights here, he was knocked down twice by Jack Della Maddalena. You know, Jack has a lot of power in his hand, so no real shame in that. But still, Danny Roberts knocked down twice before he was finished in the first round of that spot. And then also some of his other fights, he was finished by Claudio Silva, knocked out by Michelle Pereira. And that was a brutal knockout that happened uh, very quickly into that fight, just a couple minutes in. And that's what we see a lot from Danny Roberts. He gets hurt a lot. He's older. He doesn't fight super frequently at this point in his career. Only fought once in 2021, twice in 2022, which uh, did take a little bit of time off after the JDM knockout, which I understand. That makes some sense. But still, Danny Roberts, a lot of wear and tear on him. He has had, let's see, a bunch of fights in the UFC. He has been knocked out one, two, three, four times now. 
at his age, definitely a concern. I don't think Johnny Parsons is particularly good in his own right. So maybe Danny Roberts is just going to have an experience advantage. It's going to be able to benefit him in this spot. But still, if we're looking for fights in the mid-range that have a lot of finishing equity, I think this is a strong one to look at. And Danny Roberts right now, he's only projected for 16% ownership. Johnny Parsons is projected for 18% ownership. So this is a really lowly owned fight that I think has a lot of question marks on it, which is probably why nobody wants to really target all that heavily because nobody knows what to make of it. But for GPP purposes, that's perfect. I don't know who's going to win either. It's a fight that's taking place in the mid-range, but it's minus 200 to finish inside the distance. And just based on the odds of it finishing inside the distance, the price tags on these two, we've got Parsons priced at $8,200 and then Danny Roberts at 8000 I think it's pretty likely that the winner of this fight lands in the optimal lineup. I'm going to side with Parsons just because of some of the durability concerns with Danny Roberts. But one of these fights, too, like I was saying, play both sides of it in tournaments, especially if the field isn't going to be there tomorrow. Looking through some of the underdogs that I like to target, this one's probably going to be a little bit controversial, but Mark Jacasey taking on Joel Alvarez. There's a very clear path to victory for Jacasey. The biggest issue is he kind of fights like an idiot a lot, makes a lot of questionable decisions, low fight IQ. But we've seen a lot of wrestling out of Jacasey in some of his recent fights. He took down Demir Hadzovic eight times. He took down Borchev 11 times. He did lose the fight to Michael Johnson, which was a terrible look for Jacasey. He was a pretty big favorite in that matchup. But look at Joel Alvarez's takedown defense. 0%. He has defended 0.0 takedowns over the course of his UFC career. Recent fights for Joel Alvarez, he fights Armand Sarukian, gets taken down twice in that fight, ends up getting finished. Sarukian goes two of two on takedown attempts. Alexander Yakolev goes one for one on takedown attempts. Joe Duffy goes one for one on takedown attempts. Danilo Bellardo goes two for two on takedown attempts. Now, here's the biggest problem that we're going to see Jacasey presented with in this matchup. Joel Alvarez is a very, very good finisher, both on the feet and on the ground. If you look at Joel Alvarez, for his career off the top of my head, he has something like 16 wins or something crazy like that by submission. I'll pull up his topology page while I'm talking here. And that is definitely something that we could see end up presenting an issue for Jacasey is based on his low fight IQ, is he just going to put himself into a submission? Very possibly. But uh, yeah, here we go. We have in the course of the career of Joel Alvarez, 19 and three record. And of those 19 wins, 16 of them have come by submission. So very opportunistic, a very opportunistic submission grappler. So is Jacasey just going to put himself into a guillotine while taking down Joel Alvarez? Potentially. But if Jacasey is able to stay safe in some of these grappling scenarios, not only do I think he's going to win, but I think he could put up a pretty good score via the wrestling and just holding top control. Because if you look at the career of Mark Jacasey, he is somebody who we haven't seen get into that many bad situations on the mat. You know, he's been submitted a couple of times, but it came against Rafael Dos Anjos. And then the other one came really early in his career. So I don't put too, too much stock into that. But still... Jacasey, there's a very clear path for him to be an underdog that not only wins, but puts up a good score. The main reason being all the takedowns we've seen him attempting as of late and the 0% takedown defense of Joel Alvarez. So I would not be shocked if Jacasey comes out with a wrestling-based game plan. If Joel Alvarez just kind of lets him take him down and then tries to hunt for submission. So Jacasey is an underdog that I like because of the potential for him to wrestle and hold top control in this matchup. Another one 
that I think is a pretty interesting underdog to look at. And this is purely due to a size difference. Andre Feely against Nathaniel Wood. This is one of the bigger size differences I can remember seeing in a UFC fight. Nathaniel Wood, this is going to be his, I believe it's either his second or his third fight at featherweight. Yeah, Charles Rosa was a featherweight fight. Charles Jordan was a featherweight fight. The Casey Kenny fight was not. So this is going to be his third fight at featherweight. Charles Rosa doesn't present very many problems on the feet. So it was still one where we saw Nathaniel would pretty easily be able to dominate that fight. He looked really impressive in the win over Charles Jordan. But this is a size difference that's really hard for me to ignore. Nathaniel Wood is five foot six. Andre Feely is five foot eleven. Andre Feely is also going to have a five inch reach advantage. I do think of the two that Nathaniel Wood is the better fighter. More output. He lands 6.34 significant strikes per minute. I think he's a better grappler. As far as the wrestling goes, he's capable in that department as well. Lands 1.81 takedowns per 15 minutes. But it's just this size difference. And Andre Feely is able to fight long as well with the kicks. He also has a good jab. He's able to fight at distance. So I do think that the betting odds are not really indicative of the massive size difference here, and that Andre Feely could just win this fight at a distance. So I think Feely is a live underdog. And then also, I don't mind him as an underdog bet either, where he's right around plus 170 to as good as plus 180 right now. Bet 365 is the best line available at plus 180. And I just think the line is a little bit too wide here on the Nathaniel Wood side. So there's a lot of payoff options I like. I understand the overall upside from Nathaniel Wood from a DFS standpoint, but I might try to get a little bit more of Andre Feely. Number one, to be different, Andre Feely currently projected for, let's see, we've got Andre Feely for just under 20% projected ownership right now at 7,000, whereas Nathaniel Wood is projected for 26% ownership. And he's $9,200. So if I'm paying up for a fighter, just Nathaniel Wood is going to be lower on the pecking order to me to guys like Tom Aspinall, Mahmoud Muradov, Andre Muniz. So it's kind of hard for me to pay up for Nathaniel Wood just because of other fighters I prefer on the high end. And then also just because I think the line is a little wide. I think that's also something that's going to make it make sense for me to play more of Feely in DFS contests. So I'm already going to be underway to the field on Nathaniel Wood. As for other underdogs that I think we should be looking at on this fight, Jafel Filio against Daniel Barrez. Barrez is really impressive looking, and I know he's older. We don't see a lot of UFC fighters that are this age making their debut. So he is nearly 35 years old, Barrez. But still, he had a not great outing on the contender series against Carlos Hernandez. But Hernandez, I think we have seen since then, is a very legit young fighter. So no real shame in losing to that in that fight, to Hernandez. And then Jafel Filio, who I know a lot of people are going to be looking at the near submission he had against uh, Mohamed Mokayev and look at that as a feather in the cap of Filio, which it is to some point. But you have to look at the rest of the fight, too, where Mokayev was kind of able to dominate that fight when he did choose to go to the wrestling and grappling. And Barras is a fighter who, in his contender series fight, landed five takedowns. So we go to the stats of that fight. He landed five takedowns. He also attempted 16 if Bars is able to put on that kind of a wrestling and grappling pressure, if he's able to attempt 16 takedowns in a fight against Jafel Filio, now I understand that Filio is dangerous on the ground like we saw in that fight against Mohamed Mokayev, but he's also a fighter who I think can be taken down. He only has a 55% takedown defense on top of being taken down the four times by Mohamed Mokayev. Mokayev attempted eight takedowns in that fight, so it was 
pretty high accuracy in that spot. And Filio just did nothing on the feet. Only landed nine significant strikes when it played out on the feet. And it's not like Makayev dominated the entire fight on the mat. I do think a lot of that fight was Makayev kind of trying to test out his stand-up because he had so little regard for Filio as a fighter. So eight minutes and 15 seconds of control time for Makayev means that about half of the fight was taking place at distance. And Filio only landed nine significant strikes over that point in time there. So I, I, I like Barrez as an underdog option. And I didn't get he's pretty live in that spot. Uh, going to be an interesting fight card, 15 fights to look at. So I'm not too many spots where I think we could just look at and be like, hey, I want to play this fighter in like 40 or 50% of lineups outside of a Tom Aspinall. So definitely want to be a little bit of spread exposure on, but I did highlight the fighters that I'm overall going to be getting the most exposure to and the fights that I like to target. Now for Rainmaker's purposes, the two things we definitely do want to look at is number one, playing a lot of Tom Aspinall, playing a lot of Mahmoud Muradov, and we don't have to worry about the pricing over in Rainmakers. I do like getting to both of them. And then something else also is we've got fighters like a Ketlin Vieira, who I'm not going to be playing a lot of in DFS, but she's a decent-sized favorite with some grappling upside for Rainmakers purposes. She makes a little bit more sense there. But I'll build out my first elite lineup of the week right here. And oh, actually, I have a serial number one, Tom Aspinall. Aspinall obviously makes a ton of sense to put in the captain spot here. I'm going to, let's see, we find a Mordov. Pretty sure I have Mordov cards somewhere. Here we go. So I'll plug in a Mahmoud Mordov. Now I have to play one more elite fighter. I guess for the wrestling potential, just because I have seven of them. And a couple of them are elites. I'll play one of the Chris Duncans here. And then I need to fill out the lineup with two more rare cards. Got Joel Alvarez I could play. Although I did talk about liking Jacasey. McCann, I think, does make a little bit more sense also from Rainmaker's purposes than for classic contests. I do think this is a pretty favorable matchup for Molly McCann. Just don't wrestle against Julia Storylenko. And you're probably going to win. And very live also for Maya McCann to finish her on the feet. We've also seen in the past when she fights in London, she comes with a different energy feeding off the crowd and fights uber aggressive, especially in the early going. And I do think the UFC gave her a matchup against not a terrible opponent in Stoli Aranko, but definitely one that's a favorable matchup for McCann where I think they tried to give her a layup to win in fight of the home crowd here in London, get a big pop from the audience. So Maya McCann like her a decent amount for Rainmaker's purposes. And then... Who else should I fill in here? Uh, you know what? I'll go a little bit contrarian in this lineup, throw Mark Chikasey, and I don't think he's going to be all that popular at the higher dollar contest. I do think Joel Alvarez is somebody the field is going to be on. Also, Joel Alvarez is always somebody who I find to be a little bit more popular with the public than most fighters end up expected to be. There's kind of certain fighters that we'll see at times just consistently come in overweight to their projected ownership. Joel Alvarez is one of them. If I'm not mistaken, his last fight where he just got absolutely demolished by Armand Sarukian, if I remember correctly, I think Joel Alvarez was close to 40% owned and the most popular fighter on that card. So uh, Jacasey, once again, somebody who I like taking some underdog shots on. Now he's probably going to go ahead and do something stupid and uh, fall into a submission or just not shoot takedowns, get himself knocked out on the feet. But there's clear upside for Jacasey there anyway. And that's going to do it for me. If you guys have any questions or comments, let me know below. And if you want any more bets from myself, go check out Chalkboard. There's a link for that. It is totally free to download Chalkboard. Post some bets in there regularly, as well as give out some free sampling of the betting tools we have over at Odd Shopper. So that does it for me, guys. Thank you very much for watching. Good luck with this card, and I'll see you back here next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. 
laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We all love the low country lifestyle, which is why we should do our best to protect it. To get insurance that helps you protect your home from whatever the low country throws at you, contact C.T. Lowndes & Company today. Their local agents can review your coverage to help make sure you're properly protected. C.T. Lowndes & Company has been helping protect and insuring the low country since 1850. Visit ctlowndes.com to learn more and request a quote. That's ctlowndes.com.